Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. A recent Walker study says that by the end of 2020, customer experience will overtake price and product as the key brand differentiator. So to make sure your industrial business stands out from the competition, it's time to shift some focus from pricing models and future product development to prioritize what might be a new strategic consideration for your leadership team, customer experience. As our guests will remind us in today's conversation, customer experience goes beyond the sales pitch and the delivery of products or services. In fact, every member of a company's staff impacts the customer experience throughout their entire engagement with the brand. So it takes a full team effort to ensure it's a positive one. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Ackle, who's the CEO of Sigma Thermal, a process heating systems manufacturer and service provider based in Marietta, Georgia. Jeff and his colleagues at Sigma Thermal are leading the way in prioritizing industrial B2B customer experience by tying it in as a key team priority throughout each engagement with a customer. In today's episode, we'll discuss why customer experience is so important, and Jeff will share his tips on how to assess what the experience is like for your own customers and how you can optimize their experience to improve customer retention and profits along the way. Hey, Jeff, super excited to have you on the podcast, and and, uh, you and I share a common interest in really, I would argue, reimagining or redefining what a customer experience is in the manufacturing and industrial marketplaces. And before we went on air, we were kind of joking that, you know, perhaps this idea of a customer experience or exactly what it's like is not particularly well understood by a lot in the manufacturing industry. And you've been, I would argue, a bit of a pioneer, your company has, of trying to understand the difference between customer service and the actual customer experience at at Sigma Thermal. Can you talk a little bit about how you got where you are on this and how that light went off? And then maybe a follow-up question to that, Jeff, might be is, how do you see the difference between customer service and and the, quote-unquote, the customer experience? As you mentioned, we share an interest in this, and I'm certainly happy to be here and and happy to talk about it. So I think first and foremost, Tony, I appreciate you having me on, and I'm glad to be a part of your podcast. So, So how did we get here? As we were talking about offline a little bit before we got started, we started out as a as a small company, and, and by small company, I mean five six people. And and so early on in our in our company culture, we, we didn't really have a hard time making customers happy. We felt like we made a quality product, and we we did a good job taking care of our customers. And and um, as we grew and got bigger and bigger and bigger, obviously um, things changed quite a bit in the business model. You're serving a much greater number of customers and you have a, a far greater number of people involved in that effort. And you know things get disjointed a little bit. You have departments and you have uh, different responsibilities that start to spread out. And I think you know what can happen along the way is that this idea of servicing a customer becomes a little bit disjointed. It's um, a responsibility that's spread out across an entire organization. And I think the misnomer, I think where people make a mistake is that they believe that customer service belongs to a specific department or somehow customer service is relegated to a specific group of people, whether that be sales or marketing or the the aftermarket, anybody that supports, uh, maybe it's a call center or, or people who are dealing with issues. 
And, and the reality is that could be farther from the truth. What is it? You know, what is the difference between a customer experience and customer service? I think a lot of people probably do a pretty good job with customer service, even, you know, things that are uh, happening when, when, when issues come up or they have a group that's doing problem solving and they're super responsive, but that may still result in a poor overall customer experience. And so, you know, what, what's the difference in those two? And, and probably the, the best way that we've been able to wrap that up and present it to our employees is that the customer experience is really about anything and everything that anybody in their organization may see or touch mm. at your company. Yeah. And, and that could be a number of things. It could be your website, the first time they come to visit you, or how about the first phone call they make and, and somebody answers the phone? How about a packing list or an O&M manual that comes to them? You may have a service person out in the field you know, that picks up your O&M manual and the only thing they ever see about your company the only thing they know about you is that O&M manual. They never spoken to anybody. They didn't deal with you at any other point in time. But if you put out a, a junky O&M manual that's not of any use to them, that is their impression of your company. Yeah, I love that, Jeff. You know, it's interesting. Early on in my business career, I read a book by a guy named Jan Carlson. It was called Moments of Truth. And he was a kind of a turnaround expert from the 80s, early 90s era. And he took over a defunct, really poorly run European airline. And he defined this concept of, you know, back then it was pre 9-11, but getting out of a car that the first person that greets you that's affiliated with that airline is a moment of truth. When your ticket is taken is a moment of truth. When you get sat in your seat and you pull down the tray and, and, he, he went through this and it was very much, I love the way you described that, that each touchstone that a customer has with you. And by the way, today, a lot of those touches are digital in nature before they ever have an interaction with your company. That's a part of, let's call it either prospect or customer experience. I love the way you talk about that. The other thing that really stuck with me from what you just said, Jeff, too, is, you know, paraphrasing. A quality product does not always mean a quality customer experience. And boy, that's going to stick with me. I, I think that's a really, really fascinating insight. Yeah, and that's a big lesson learned for us is that for our company in particular, we've been honing and refining our product for over 13 years now since we, we started this organization. And, and granted, we're a relatively young organization, but 13 years is still a, a, a fair yeah. amount of time to improve your product. And we certainly feel like we've made great strides in the quality and the uh, functionality and uh, the effectiveness of our products. But uh, what we noticed over time was that we had a, an increasing number of dissatisfied customers. It had nothing to do with the product at the end of the day. You know, they, they were upset with something that happened along the way with one of those touch points. And I think you're really fooling yourself to think that as a B2B company, as an industrial, that those things don't matter. I think they matter more. And, and I think, you know, just overly simplistic example here, I'm not betting my career on a consumer purchase. Right. In a B2B sense, when I'm making a decision with a major supplier, I, I don't want to be too dramatic about it or melodramatic about it, but you know what, these are, these are career decisions in many cases. So I, I agree with you. I think that customer experience has a level of risk, if you will, in the B2B arena that I think oftentimes we as B2B professionals or B2B marketers don't stop to think about. Here's a caveat that I would add to that, which is that, you know, and this is probably to me the biggest difference in a consumer facing business and B2B 
for the most part, at least for our business, and I would imagine for a lot of businesses, you're selling to professional buyers. You're selling to Correct. people who do this for a living, and your job is to take the emotion out of it, to aggregate information from across our organization and pick the best supplier. So if you have a great product, and, and in our case, the only people that know if we have a great product really are the people that operate in the plants, in the field. Well, they're the only people that know. But guess who sits in the office with the buyer? The project managers, the engineers, the people that worked with you to procure that product and to execute that project along the way and to get you from A to B. And uh, the quality control personnel that had to come to your plant and deal with you. And, and, you know, if they had to sit in your lobby and wait for two and a half hours for your quality guy to come out and escort them for an inspection, they don't like you. And, and I think it's important to recognize that even more so than a consumer facing business, which to your point, you have one individual to worry about in our business. We have many individuals who are great, and you need to be good at all of it, right? Yeah. When we talk to um, industrial and manufacturing companies about this concept of customer success, the customer experience, oftentimes what I'll get back as questions are, boy, those are, those are kind of squishy things to measure. You know, huh. and at the end of the day, a renewing customer demonstrates that it's customer success or customer experience. How did you start to wrap your head around how to measure for this? You know what I mean? What insights might you offer people listening here who have yet to embark on this? Yeah, that, that's, that is really the essence of what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's converting the squishy to the black and white, right? Yeah. That, that's the real challenge of this. And I, I think there, there, there's, there's a few things. And I think probably first and foremost, one of the things that we had to wrap our head around is that it's, it is possible to define a customer experience as either positive or negative and not on a gradient. And so there's uh, one of the things that I learned through this process was that there's actually a lot of research out there that supports the idea that consumers, you know, whether that be a business or an individual, the consumers are not looking to be blown away by a customer experience. You know, and I think that's that's a misconception a lot of people have. We, we even proved this within our own company. And, and here's what we did. We got a group of employees together and we said, describe a consumer experience you've had recently and tell us whether it was positive or negative and then tell us why. You know, one of the most revealing answers that we got was from a, a pretty young gentleman who had joined us, you know, maybe six months before we asked these questions. And he was talking about flying to Florida. And, and we, and, you know, he said, you know, I think it was a positive experience. And I said, so what, what was it that made you, you know, what are you looking for when you get on a plane, you know, from that airline to make it be a positive experience? You know, do you, do you really need to be greeted at the door? Do you need to have, you know, do your snacks need to be perfect? And he's like, not really. He's like, I just wanted to get there without being traumatized. And I could, you know, we all laughed. We were like, that's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah. It reinforces the point that, you know, sure, people have opinions and there's things they would prefer. There's a lot of back and forth about, you know, what, what's the best thing to do to enhance an experience. But the real question is, is who's he going to buy a plane ticket from next time? And for that particular consumer, his experience was positive because he got there safely. Yeah. He felt yeah. safe at the airline. And so that was an important point for us that you really need to look at your touch points as either positive or negative. You either do a good job with this or you don't. And I think the second thing in defining customer experience is you really have to break it down into specific points. And, and what we did was called a customer journey map. You know, the simple explanation is you, you pretend you're a consumer and you walk through the entire process of engaging with your company from cradle to grave and you ask yourself, 
this an opportunity for me to have an impression about that company? So what we did is we said that touch point either has a smiley face or a frowny face, period. And if you have enough touch points that, that have really fully defined the entirety of the customer interaction, I think you will find that you can aggregate a very good view of how you present yourself to your clients. The oh, one other thing that I'll throw on that. So let's talk about surveys. So I'll ask you that question, Tony. How 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 many surveys do you fill out? Are you, are you a survey person, or do you just kind of delete them when you get them? You know, Jeff, I probably do more than you might think. Primarily because we are survey maniacs. Right. So I I always thinking because we do a lot of them. I kind of feel like I have to go along to get along, right? Yeah. To a certain extent, I'd say I'm. In all candor, I'm, I'm probably middle of the road. I, I don't do them every time, but I, I probably participate more than 50%. Okay. So what would you say as a, as a company that deals a lot in surveys, what's your general impression of what percentage of consumers fill out surveys, um, especially digital surveys, emails, that kind of thing? Like, What kind of response do you think you get? And do you think that's, that's indicative of really what's happening out there as far as feedback goes? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I know in, in our case, we, we have a pretty high turn up rate for that. But I think a lot of that's based on the legacy of our brand and how long we've been around and the way that we regularly interact. I'm going to guess we're probably a little higher than the average. Okay. So one of the things that we found is that generally speaking, people don't like to fill out surveys unless they're angry. We got a lot of negative feedback. But when we were looking at it, as we weren't getting a lot of feedback, period. We were just getting mostly negative feedback as a percentage. So that's useful and helpful, but it's also not telling you whether you're doing a great job. Correct. Yeah. It's just telling you that whatever feedback you're getting is negative because somebody's upset and they want to vent. So we, we started doing something where, in our particular process, we had two different points at which we survey a customer. One, after we shipped them the product where we engage with their, their project team to ask them questions about how we did. And then a second time later, after it's been operating for a while, where we engage with their field service personnel to know how it's operating. And sure. Um, sure. we're doing that in person now. So what we do is we have one of our either salespeople or project managers contact the customer for our phase one survey. And, and one of their key contacts, somebody they talk to on a regular basis, somebody who knows everything about the project, and we just have a conversation with them and our people actually record the results to the survey. And a lot of times they don't even tell the customer we're surveying. And we, we still record all those results in a survey tool so we can you know, get the data. Um, and then we do it again in an aftermarket context. It's something we're working on. It's something we're trying to improve. Uh, certainly it's not perfect, but we feel like we're getting better results because we're getting a more even view. So. But one other point that I'll make too, it's really hard to do a good survey if you don't know what you're asking them about. So your survey questions matter is my point. I mean, if you go out and say, hey, were you happy? All right, well, you know, that, that's about the quality of the answer you can get. But if you break it down into 10 specific areas, did you like your O&M manual? Did you like your packing list? Did you think our drawings were of high quality? Did you like our project yeah. manager? Did they communicate well with you? You know, that, that's where we're, we're trying to be a little bit more, you know, I use the word granular. Yeah, and your point, Jeff, it makes it more actionable. Sure. If it's just thumbs up or thumbs down, it's hard for me to, to make that actionable. And, and what we've learned through the history of doing surveys around customer experiences, they get biased to the compensation plan, to the person that's going to get paid of whether that thumb is up or right. down. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and it's not actionable. You know, it's interesting. We did a, 
a research project and they were all personal uh, or individual interviews where we interviewed uh, engineers, procurement professionals and MROs about their jobs to be done in product sourcing and supplier evaluation. And they found over 236 individual jobs to be done around those categories. But it, Jeff, it maps really cleanly to your points on the touch points. Yeah. Some were small where you'd look at this and go, wow, I never thought of that as a job to be done. Some could have been, you know, very large, you know, in terms of implications, but uh, all along with validating, I think that the approach that you all have taken, I think that idea of touch points in that customer process and, and particularly looking at it from the vantage point of what matters to the customer, you know, what matters to the supplier is, hey, I want to sell more. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a hard thing to survey, right? Yeah. Hey, so what, you know, kind of an extension, we've, we've got a broad listenership here that ranges from, you know, Fortune 100 companies down to, you know, very small uh, manufacturing businesses. Are, are, are there kind of maybe two or three steps that you might recommend if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, boy, I haven't really embarked on this. Any idea of how to get started? You know, maybe some steps they could start to take today to improve the customer experience at their company? Sure. You know, we, we, to some degree, kind of accidentally fell into this and then became believers along the way. And, and I think if I'd been more intentional about our journey, I, I might have gone about it a little bit differently. First and foremost, I think you have to understand this is not going to happen quickly. This is a, a process that's probably going to take you a year or more to do right. Yeah. The reason for that is because it's a culture change. It's not as simple as implementing some processes. I mean, you have to get buy-in, you have to get participation because remember what we're talking about here, your goal is to make everybody in your company believe that they impact customer experience. And, and you have to drive that point home that everybody in your company, everybody's a participant, it takes an entire company to achieve this. And part of the journey map and part of the touch points is to show them that specifically. And, and any, any management team that's, that's going through, you know, any kind of culture change can probably appreciate what I'm saying. It just takes a little while to get part sure. of that process. Yeah. But I think the first thing that you need to do is develop a, I would call it internal customer service model and use that to build an external customer service model. Uh, one of the things that we found out very quickly was that one of our biggest problems was interdepartment wrangling was actually something sure. that contributed most to customer dissatisfaction where interesting yeah, yeah you know what i'm saying right egos were getting in the way and this this department thought it was that department's responsibility and and you know out of spite they said no somebody dropped the yeah. ball yeah it's the uh the, the not my job award i'm sure you've seen those memes running around right yes indeed <laughs> and, yeah and so a lot of those things were, you know, really getting in our way of, of improving. And one of the very first things we did was actually define for ourselves and for our customers what we believed as a company was our motto or our definition of customer experience. And we actually came up with a model that is internal, not externally. We actually branded it and created something we call CRED, C-R-E-D. And what we did, we had meetings where we in person asked all of our employees the same kind of questions I mentioned earlier. What does it mean to you? What does customer service mean to you? What makes you want to go back and buy something from something that you engage in as a consumer? And, and let's boil that down to its essence and let's define it. And for us, that acronym, C-R-E-D, it was 
a very important thing. And, and C stands for competent. Um, we, we need to be good at what we do. We need to be competent at our jobs. R stands for responsive. We found the number one way you can make people mad is to ignore them. You bet. E was for effortless. It is our goal to make the customer feel like they didn't have to work to get their product for us, that it was effortless to do business with us. And yeah. it was dependable. Yeah. And, and in some ways, that's the culmination of the three. They're to buy from us again because they feel like they can depend on us. So the first thing we did was define this cred. And I mean, we've got it branded everywhere. We made mouse pads for people who still use mouse pads. We made, uh, <laughs> we, we made uh, shirts. We made uh, stress balls. We made coffee mugs. And we distributed that internally. And we had a we actually had a cred launch party just to define our, our, our company culture around cred. And yep. I think the importance of that is engaging your employees and saying, look, you're a consumer too. Tell me what makes you happy when you buy things. And really smart idea. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, the next thing I would do, and, and I recommend you engage a consultant or somebody who does this because they can make this process a lot easier for you. A quick shout out to John Russack and ABX Solutions, who was our guru of cred. <laughs> it took us a while to do our journey map. And this is that important step because this is where you really get into the nuts and bolts of how, of how you're going to define success or failure. What are your touch points, right? Um, what's that journey map? And, and then who owns those touch points, right? Ultimately, somebody needs to be accountable for that smiley face or frowny face. And then I think at the end of the day, it's um, just like any other big effort. It comes down to buy-in and reinforcement from management. I mean, if you roll out cred, right, and then you start doing your surveys and you do your journey map and you start reporting your touch points and you don't build up a continuous you know, feedback mechanism that people seriously use as you go, then you've just wasted a year of your time, right? Yeah. Well, and Jeff, you get into that, you know, I call it sloganeering, you know, where you see companies do this all the time. They come up with a customer first, you know, oriented slogan. And if they don't start to at least take the steps to live up to that, it's, it's worse than not having done it. Hey, super, super practical steps there that you outlined. Before we get to our final two questions, just kind of briefly, Jeff, you and I are having this conversation, obviously, at a, uh, at a remarkable time in history. And talking about customer service and the customer experience and how all those things work in the era of COVID-19, where we, we can't be in front of customers in the way that we used to, we've had to change it. What has that done to the way you've approached this? And, and how, how have you as a company innovated to adjust to the changing demands of, of customers during this, this very unique time? Yeah, unique is, uh, is, is, a, is a good word. So, uh, yeah, I think, of course, it's been a bit of an evolution for us, as I, I, would, I would imagine it has been for a lot of companies. You know, one of our biggest challenges really was that half of our business works very well remotely and the other half does not. And so the part of our business that works well is the front-ended engineering and design and the project execution phase, which is, you know, mostly people and computers and people who are already doing Zoom meetings and, you know, that kind of thing. The manufacturing side, a little bit different, you know, ongoing QAQC inspections, um, and then we, of course, we have our aftermarket business, which is service and parts and, and field service uh, in the era of limited travel was certainly a challenge. We have found that, that most people are pretty open to almost anything that you have to suggest. And so I think probably the best thing you can do is just uh, keep an open mind and, and listen to what they want. So here, here's a good 
example. Peak pandemic panic. That's uh, a new term for me. I've never used that term. Right during the middle of when everybody was freaking out the most, we had a commissioning for, of, a, of a piece of equipment that was in a power plant in Canada. And they were like, look, we, we've got to get this thing started. This power plant has to come online. We've got to get your commissioning people up here. But at that time, Canada had a 14-day quarantine for anybody coming from the U.S. And we were like, well, look, you know, we can send him up there, but he's going to have to sit for 14 days. And they said, you know what? We'll pay you to sit in a hotel room for 14 days. That's how important it is for us. We will pay you your normal service rates. So, you know, we talked to a couple of our techs and said, hey, look, this isn't going to be exciting, but you're going to get paid to sit and watch Netflix on your computer in a hotel room for two weeks before you can go to work and go eat dinner in the hotel every night. A great testament to the to the value of what you're delivering to a customer like that, though. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we've also had as a, as a, you know, kind of a contrasting example, we had a customer in Mexico who uh, wants to commission, but they don't want anybody on site. They're still adamant that they're not going to have anybody on site. And so we're actually doing, we're doing it remotely. We had quickly put together a concept for remote support services. And for, for our equipment, that's a little bit challenging because being hands-on is important and, and the complexity of the equipment is, is fairly high. And so, you know, trying to, you know, take uh, years of training that we've given our technicians and communicate that through to people on site where they can be the hands of the brains on the other end of the phone, it, it was a little bit challenging. But all we did is we said, look, well, what are the tools that are available to us? And what we did is we said, well, look, let's just use conventionally and, and widely available tools that everybody has, WhatsApp, Teams, Zoom, and let's let's be effective with that. And so we, we just kind of quickly said, look, we, we can have our technicians available to you. We'll give you a, a remote support rate, and we will conduct that visit with you and that support with you over whatever platform works for you and your organization. And um, we will assist you in whatever way we can. And we put together a, a, a flyer, a, a remote support flyer. It was a fairly simple one-page information, just quickly outlining what we were offering. And said, hey, let's get this on the website. Let's market it. Let's get it out to our email list. And uh, probably most importantly, we needed to get it to our staff and our technicians so that as they were taking calls from customers saying, hey, what are we going to do? Uh, we already had that marketing material ready to present to them. So uh, for us... It, you know, getting that together quickly really helped us to kind of stay ahead of the game and show our customers that we were prepared to do what was necessary to support them, you know, even where though we're still in the middle of this mess. So that's that's really been the bulk of it, is trying to deal with the person-to-person the -person things that can't go away. We, we also had, we have customers that needed to come in and do QAQC inspections for the equipment that was about to ship to their plants. So we had to develop some protocols for allowing people to come into our facility, which of course was a big concern. I mean, you know, if we get a case of COVID in our fab shop, you know, we, we could shut the whole shop down. I mean, you've seen it happen yeah. in some of these poultry plants in the Midwest and where they've had to, to shut entire operations down. So we were really, really hesitant to allow people, outsiders, into our, our production facility. But, but through a series of questionnaires and testing and so on and so forth, we were able to accomplish that safely. And we also did some of that remotely. We actually did that via Zoom meetings and FaceTime and other things. Yeah, it's amazing and, and it's impressive to, to see the work that's uh, done in this area. I, I think as a foundational platform that we've got this remarkable view at Thomas Nat into the industrial economy, we're seeing so many really in, in, inspiring examples of innovation and certainly advanced technology, to your point, Jeff, plays a big role. 
But we're also seeing just this kind of can-do spirit of, you know, organizations working through some of these these challenges and and uh, and problems. Yeah. So if nothing else, it's 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 really taking the entire work population of the world and ripped apart their convention and said, "Hey, we're all open to whatever." Absolutely. Hey, so Jeff, fantastic conversation, and I think you've certainly opened up. Uh, or will open up a lot of our listeners' eyes to the difference between customer service and customer experience and giving them some really practical steps that they can start to take in their own organizations. With all of our guests, Jeff, we ask them uh, two final questions and would love to get your take on these. So the first is, what's the best advice you give to someone planning for a career in industry? Well, yeah, that is a good question. But I tell you what, one, one final point that I would say is, and I want everybody to know, we're not great at this yet. We're still working on it, too. So uh, it's a work in progress. At Sigma Thermal is something we're excited about. It's something we're working on. We're trying to get better at. You know, maybe that's a good intro to, to your question. What's the best advice that I can give someone to help for an enduring career in industry? I would say, first and foremost, work hard every day, all the time. And if you find through working hard every day, all the time that you don't love what you're doing, find something else to do. We try to do that at our company where we, we try and find people who have the right spirit and, and have the right idea and have the right passion and the right drive. And if we find they're not excelling at something, it's something they don't enjoy, we put them in a different place. We give them an opportunity to explore something different. And I think, you know, for somebody starting their career, I think that's something they may not recognize. It's certainly something I didn't understand as a, as a younger person participating in industry or is in my first real post-collegiate job was that a companies need employees everywhere to do lots of different things. And just because you start a certain role doesn't mean that you're destined to do that. So if, if, if you're working as hard as you possibly can and giving it 120% and you find you don't love what you do, I would be honest about that and ask if, if there's other things that, that, that you could potentially do better. And it's, doesn't mean it's going to change overnight, but I think if a company sees you as a hard worker who's open and honest, they're going to look for, for ways to keep you. Yeah, I think it's such great advice, Jeff. It's interesting. I, I, I oftentimes reflect on the idea that I think a lot of people approach jobs or careers as though it's a finite game. There's a winner and a loser. Whereas if you think about you know, careers, they're not unlike life itself. It's an infinite game. The, the, the goal is to keep playing. So, you know, great advice on your part. Yeah, and I want to throw one other little caveat on that, too. I think, you know, one of the things that's important, too, is is in order to to know what you love doing, I think you also have to be honest with yourself about what you're good at and what you're not good at. Yeah. And it's okay to not be good at something. I, I think that's – I think a lot of people – their feelings get hurt if, if they have a manager or somebody say, hey, you know what? Like, I don't think you do that well. That's okay. Look, I, t I tell you what, as the CEO of the company, to some degree, I kind of get to pick – what areas I want to focus on. I mean, there's some things that are just part of the job and you have to deal with it, but I can promise you that I really don't enjoy reviewing contracts for, for projects. And, and I'm going to do anything I can to find somebody else who's better at it than I am to advise me on how to do that. And, and the fact that I know I'm not good at it is going to result in me having a better outcome as, as an employee, right? Fantastic point. And, and, uh, Hey, our last question, Jeff, and again, my thanks uh, for, for coming on. What a fantastic conversation. Um, if you could put one sentence on a billboard that best expresses your personal philosophy, what would it say? I'm a big believer in having 
a clear vision of what you want to do and focusing on that vision, not spreading yourself too thin. So if I had to put one sentence, I would say maybe have a clear vision, communicate that vision clearly and pursue that vision relentlessly. To learn more about Jeff, Sigma Thermal, and how to optimize the customer experience at your industrial business, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Uphoff and produced by Michaela Tierney. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or recommend us to a colleague. Your feedback helps us continue to advocate for industry across the airwaves. Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.